The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Hey, welcome to 4th of July weekend, Independence Day weekend here at Community. I uh, want to thank you for joining us. Um, you know, if you were outside with us down at the Edwardsburg Sports Complex this morning, uh, we would have these little flags around all over the place. I mean, it is our nation's birthday, uh, celebrating and, thank and thanking the Lord for what we have. Uh, so uh, I needed to do something. So we're going to put that one there. That's beautiful. And we're going to put this one here. Now, do you, do you feel patriotic now? Do you feel like it is the 4th of July weekend? I hope so. I feel better anyway. So uh, we can do that. Uh, but this is the first of two services where we're going to have many services while we are meeting uh, down there live uh, at the Edwardsburg Sports Complex here on the 5th and then on the 12th. We're going to have a little mini service here. Now, the mini service means no worship. Sorry about that. Uh, you just get to hear me for a little bit of an abbreviated message. But... Two weeks from today, on the 19th, don't forget, that day we're, it, we're going all out, okay? We're going to have actual people in church. Uh, we're going to have four worship songs instead of two. We're going to be praising the Lord together. There will be singing. There will be dancing. I don't know if there will be dancing. There might be some lively, spirited foot tapping. But we're going to have a great time together on the 19th as we continue to stream our services. Uh, that will be the live service that we stream on the 19th. So do not miss that. Now, uh, we are going to continue today in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. I wanted to mention this, too. Um, back, you know, as, as we began this little progression over the last few months and everything that's been going on, I have sought the Lord and said, hey, should I vary? Should I go away from the course we were on going through the book of Acts, you know, be more on the theme of what's going on, the current events and everything that's happening? You know, should we talk about the fears that people are facing and, and uh, you know, just the, maybe the health concerns that people are facing and go through different things like that? And I have believed uh, in seeking the Lord in that, that what, we, what he would have for us to do is really just continue on the path through the scriptures. Uh, partly because uh, I thought it'd be good, kind of a uh, just normal, and what we need maybe is just some normal looking into God's Word and spending some time like that. But then also just because each week as I've studied and prepared, uh, the Word of God's incredible. And when you study it and you look into it, it is going to impact your life. And it is going to touch into whatever area of life, uh, whatever's going on in your life at that time. So I didn't really uh, feel like we were missing out on anything and definitely thought this would be a good thing. Uh, I say that because uh, this is really the path, I think, unless the Lord specifically directs a different way, we're going to continue going through Acts and the epistles that Paul wrote. So, are you ready? With Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul and Silas and a couple other fellers, they're on their little journey. Uh, they have left Philippi. They're going to head down along the coast of the Aegean Sea, and they're going to hit a few different cities in Acts chapter 17. They're going to hit Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. Now, you may, uh, I would imagine you've heard of Athens. Thessalonica at that time actually was quite a large city, a couple hundred thousand people. Uh, it was the capital of the province that was in there. Uh, and uh, so, so big-time cities that uh, Paul would uh, come and minister and establish 
establish the churches, build them up, and then from there the gospel would be taken out. But it largely uh, in the cities that, that they stopped there. Now, what I want to notice, what I want us to notice today, as we look at these three stops, is some things about the message of Paul, because Paul varied his methods and the way that he would talk to people as he was uh, ministering in different places. He'd vary them to fit and help connect with the people. He varied his methods. He never varied his message. And I want to focus on that message and look at some aspects of it and just see how incredibly important that message still is today. So, Acts chapter 17, I'm going to pick it up in verse number 2. Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. We'll come back to that idea. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ now just for a second here that word very important that word necessary okay Paul said this was a must without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin without the laying down of a perfect sacrifice in the Son of God man cannot know forgiveness man cannot know redemption man cannot be made right with God it is absolutely necessary that Christ would suffer and that he would raise victorious or that he would rise victorious over sin and death that's not even the sermon but powerful as we go through here verses number four and five and some of them were persuaded when Paul preached this, some were persuaded. They joined Paul on Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble. Do you like that phrase? They were wicked men of the rabble. That sounds like a good rock group for today. But anyway, they formed a mob, uh, set uh, the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. That's who was hosting them. Uh, that's whom the, the disciples here were staying with, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Verse number 5 says, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down. The first thing that I'd like us to notice about the gospel, the message that Paul was delivering, is that it was a revolutionary message. Now know that Jesus, while he's on this earth, was not the typical revolutionary leader. Some looked for him to be. Hey, when are we going to overthrow Rome? One of his disciples was known as Simon the Zealot because he was part of a group that was a kind of a militia type that was ready to overthrow Rome and looking that maybe through Jesus this would happen. We can, we can you know, lead, lead this revolutionary act that he would do that. And Jesus did bring revolution to the world, but he brought it by saving individuals. Not by societal transformation, uh, but by individual transformation that impacted society. This is a really old illustration here, so some of you might be able to finish it for me. But the story is told of a grandfather who, uh, he was trying to get some work done around the home, and his grandson kept messing with him, kept playing and, and everything like that, and he thought, i got to do something to keep this kid busy. So he goes in and he finds a puzzle of the world. He says, this kid's five years old. He's not going to be able to do this. I'll give it to him. That ought to keep him busy for a while. So he sets the kid up with a puzzle, goes back to work. A couple minutes later, the kid's back in and bugging his grandfather again. And he said, why don't you finish that puzzle? The kid said, I did. The world's all together. 
He, the grandfather walks in, looks at it, and says, how did you do this? And he said, oh, there's a picture of a man on the other side. He said, when I got the man right, the world took care of itself. Now, I don't know that that ever actually happened. It's probably just something some preacher made up someday. But it does incredibly illustrate the idea of what Jesus did. Jesus dealt with hearts of individuals and men and redeeming them. And in so doing, he changed the world. Now, does our world look a little bit upside down to you at all right now? Does it? I mean, just going through daily life, do you think things are a little scrambled right now? Anybody else grabbing your Bible sometime and going to the book of Revelation and say, God, is this it? <laughs> God, I, I can't find what's going on here. Where's the, where's the Rona? I don't know where it is. It's got to be in here some, some, somewhere. Uh, may I say, by the way, if, if, and this is just a personal opinion, but if you were to ask me, do you think this is it? you think, hey, this is it right here. Jesus is coming any day. I would say no, but do not be discouraged by that response because the Bible says that Jesus is coming in an hour when man thinks not. So I think not so good. Go, uh, go with it. But I do know we just look at this world sometimes and say, hey, somewhere things are upside down. We have got to get them flipped over. Well, let us understand this. These men, with their message, Jesus Christ dying for sin, buried and rising again with that message, turned the world upside down. If we want to get this world turned around, could it be that the church needs to come back to what is the most important, if you want to say, weapon, tool, uh, thing that God is going to use, and that is the proclamation of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's, so the first thing we see here in Thessalonica is that we have a revolutionary message. Now, we're going to go to Berea here for a second. I want to talk to you a little bit about the names of churches. You know, back in the day, uh, churches were very simple. You had your first Presbyterian church. If you got another Presbyterian church in town, you had your second Presbyterian church, your first Baptist church, your first Methodist church. The Catholic churches, of course, would have the names of the different saints. It was pretty simple and pretty easy. Today, naming churches is kind of an adventure. I don't know if you've ridden by and seen some of the different names, and I really don't mean to mock. I, I think it is a trend that someday people are going to look back and say, hey, that church must have been... Uh, you know, labeled somewhere around the year 2020 because things will change again. But right now, uh, some of the names are pretty, yeah, okay, you want to guess what the top five church names are of church that, churches that have started in the last 10 years? Okay, see how many you think you can get. Okay, ready? Here they are. Journey. Uh, there's one pretty close to here. Journey Church. Bridge Church. I actually don't know of any of those, but apparently that's pretty popular. Uh, Foundry. The Foundry. Just saying. Uh, Mosaic Church. And then you got Generation or Generations Church. Those are the top five. I mean, you also have things like Impact Church and Renovation Church and Epic Church. There's one of those around here. Uh, they like, you know, upward elevation churches and upward church and vertical church and uh, different uh, names like that. If you put the word new, you, you can do it with just about anything. You got, I got New Hope Church or New Life Church or, or uh, you know, what, whatever you, you can put the word new with. Or the word point. They got North Point, they got Grace Point, they got Life Point. And they put a little E on the end to make it look cool. Uh, but, the, but they like, like to have, have them in, the, in that style. And then um, also the word city is very popular. My uh, son and daughter-in-law go to a church that's called Mill City. And uh, we have a, the Gospel City Church that's around here. That's very popular. Now, I'm not mocking any of that. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just saying, just as a matter of fact, that's kind of cool, uh, the different names that they come. By the way, I wasn't going to say this, but I really wanted to call this place the Berg. Nobody, not even my own wife, would support me. I thought, Edwardsburg, let's just call it the Berg. Not one person even took me seriously. It really hurt my feelings. But, but anyway, back to the story. Um, the, um, the, 
one name that you might see on different churches, especially older churches, uh, where it might be like uh, Faith Baptist or Faith Bible Church, you might see the name Berean, okay? Berean Bible or Berean Baptist Church. You might say, you know, what is the deal? They're not in the town of Berea. Why would they call it that? Well, here's why the Berean church had a reputation. And it came really largely from verse number 11 in chapter 17. It says that now these Jews were more noble. Noble is a cool word to, to study. Uh, in, the, in the Bible there, it has to do with an idea of being open-minded and thinking. But they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Okay, that's how they approached the scriptures. And they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. A second word, remember... Paul's message is revolutionary. Paul's message is also rational. Okay? Paul's message called for people to use their brains. If you are ever part of a religious organization that discourages thinking, that says, hey, wait a minute, I'll just speed food, uh, uh, spoon feed you what it is I want you to believe. I'll tell you what you ought to believe about this. You need to really be careful and check that out because it sounds more like a cult. You see, a, a gospel church, a Bible-preaching church, is going to encourage thinking, okay? It is, it is, it is going to uh, understand that we have a rational, a reasonable faith, and we're going to get into that more in just a couple minutes here. So we're not trying to separate faith from science or faith from facts. They go together. We have a rational, we have a reasonable faith. And um, you want to be in a church where the pastor is encouraging you to get out of the high chair and what I mean is you don't want to go to a place where the pastor is like well let me spoon feed you here everything you ought to believe but you want to go somewhere where the pastor is encouraging you to get, use the brain that God has given you to dig into and study the scriptures uh, to read and think uh, and uh, you know, use your brains and that's what was going on here in the church of Berea so we got two things here right we got a church that is revolutionary and we I'm sorry we got a message that is revolutionary and we got a message that is rational now, the biggest portion of chapter 17 talks about Paul's visit to the city of Athens. And uh, I'm not going to read the entire thing. He begins by going into the marketplace, and he is just reasoning again with the different people there. And they, it talks about some of the different philosophers that they have there in the different uh, schools of thought. One of them was the Epicureans who believed that there was nothing beyond this life. And think about that. If you just believed that this life is all we have, what would you do? You'd go for all the gusta. I mean, P-A-R-T-Y, party, party till I die. That was their philosophy. The Epicureans said, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, uh, leave. You know, I'm going to enjoy life. There's another group that's mentioned called the Stoics. Their philosophy was a little bit more new age, and they actually saw life as more something to be endured. So there were those that were enjoying, thought you ought to enjoy life, those who ought to endure life. They had all types of different ideas going on there in the city of Athens. But it says that Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you seem to be very religious. Again, this is his method. I'm talking to you. I, I, I get this. By the way, uh, 30,000 different statues to deities in Athens. Uh, no wonder he said that. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, 
The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human's hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets he's quoting Greek poetry there have said for we are indeed his offspring being then God's offspring we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art and the imagination of man the times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead eliminating and in doubt who he's talking about there talking about Jesus Christ now I mentioned our faith is rational okay our faith there's good reason and God and Paul goes through the section and he says hey you need an answer to how life got started and he says first of all God is that creator now take God out of the equation pretend like there is no God and we have a perfectly intelligent answer for how everything came into being because one day there was a giant ball of gas where'd the gas come from I could go on and on into that, but would you think through that? Take God out of the picture. Take a creator out of the picture, and we have some great explanations. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. Where, why is our heart beating? Well, you say, well, of course, because your brain sends impulses. Well, why does the brain send impulses? Well, because the heart sends blood. We have no explanation for how life is created, how life is sustained, uh, who it is that is controlling everything, uh, that, is, that is orchestrating life. If we take God out of the picture, Paul says this is completely reasonable. But what I want you to see in this message, I'm going to give you a third word, very similar to our first word, but it started with an R, so I wanted to use it. We said revolutionary. We said rational. I also want you to think about the idea that the message that they preached was very radical. It was very different than anything that was going uh, on in their minds at the time. I mentioned that the Greeks had, in Athens, they had 30,000 different statues. The pigeons must have had a great time there, I think. Uh, but, uh, but everything about the religion was humanistic. Everything flowed from man to God. It was man who really created their gods. It was man who designed their gods. Uh, and everything that they saw as far as life was concerned, man was the center of. Man was the center of all things. So the message of Scripture is radically different from that. And it says that man is not the center of all things, but indeed God is. It flows from him. Let's start with God the creator, God the sustainer. Let's start there. And when he was done preaching, it says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear you again. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined and believed. Among them was Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So you see here three very clear reactions. One, you see a total rejection. They mocked. Secondly, you see those who would like to reflect for a while and say, we're going to think some more about this. And then you see others that receive the message of the gospel. I have uh, mentioned this a few times, but I'm doing it again on purpose. This is something I continue to preach to myself. Sometimes I think if I need to hear this, maybe everybody does. I might be wrong. But 
even this morning again, uh, I was preaching to myself that just because somebody disagrees with me about an issue does not mean that they are evil, does not mean that they are stupid, does not mean they do not love Jesus. I mean, I really, I have to, I'm, I'm arrogant in nature, and I can go back to thinking uh, ill about people who disagree with me, and I have to continue to tell myself over and over again, and if I'm reading through Facebook, uh, you know, I, ha I have to, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight with somebody over this or somebody over this, uh, people that I love and care about and people that are trying to follow the Lord. I'm really not into the big, the big fighting with them or anything like that. However, I saw one thing this past week, and I went back to find it again because I only read the headline, and I want to say that. I only read the headline, and at the time, I just thought, I can't read that right now. It's going to tick me off. But the headline that somebody had posted was from an article in a nationwide newspaper that said, preachers need to stop saying that the gospel is the answer. Again, didn't read the article, but that one statement there, I just got you know what? I think on that point, I'm going to fight. I, I, I think people need to understand that the Lord Jesus came into this world to save the world, to address the heart of man, to address our most basic need. That is redemption. That is forgiveness. That is to be made right with God. He laid down his life. In the very first verses we started with back there when Paul was in Thessalonica, he said that he must do that. This is, it, it had to be done, it must be done, because this is the only way that man can be made right with God. And that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't, you know, if I'm old and somebody just needs to shoot me, that's fine. But I'm just going to keep saying that. I'm just going to keep saying that the most basic need that we have and the most hey are there other areas where God might call you to get involved and try to work in, on problems everything like that oh yeah most certainly but I don't want us to forget as the people of God and as the church of God the powerful revolutionary radical rational message of the gospel of Jesus Christ would you pray with me father I uh, this is, you know, when we stop this weekend and, and we, we thank you for our country. We pray for our country. We pray for its leaders. And, Lord, I want to do that right now. And, Lord, I want to ask that you would revive us, that you would bring about a spiritual awakening in this country where we watch people receive, as, as some did here, when the message is proclaimed, that you would bring about an excitement and a fire in your people that we realize that the, the hope of this world is found in the fact that you love this world so much that your son went to a cross and laid on his life that we can know forgiveness, that we can know eternal life, that we can know you. Father, revive us. I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.